Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. At this podcast, it's the audio from a conference I spoke at um, called the Industrial Vehicle Technology Electric and Hybrid Vehicle Expo. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, it's produced by the same guys that do the IVT magazine. Uh, so it's the IVT Electric and Hybrid Vehicle Expo. Uh, it was held in Germany in November 2017. Fantastic conference. I think the first of its kind, uh, one of the first of its kind, certainly just specifically looking at electrification opportunities in heavy duty and off-highway machinery. Really very good conference. Lots of um, major vehicle manufacturers attended. I spoke about Avid's experience with electrification in heavy duty machinery, in particular, uh, looking at low voltage electrification in off-highway equipment uh, and also high voltage electrification and the differences between the two and where you'd use one strategy versus the other. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this podcast and, and without further ado, let's get on with it. My name is Ryan Morn. Um, I know some people in the room, but for those who don't know me, I'm the managing director of a company called Avid Technology. Um, you might have guessed, but we're located in the northeast of England, very near to the Nissan plant um, and very near to Hyperdrive. Um, so just a quick kind of snapshot. Um, we've, uh, Avid's been around since uh, 2005. Um, we, uh, we do systems electrification uh, for vehicles, a lot of hybrid and electric vehicle developments, but also a lot of uh, work on diesel engines, making diesel engines more efficient. Um, we've got a really good customer base, um, predominantly heavy-duty vehicles. Um, we typically say we're not automotive, but we've got some quite special automotive customers. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot afford to buy any of uh, the cars that have got our products in. So um, the, the topic of the presentation today, um, actually, this, this session is all about simulation. And uh, one of the things that we've found in our experience is that the simulation guys are typically the enemy. Um, so um, there's been a lot of discussion, and, and most events you go to now, there's, there's a lot of talk about 48-volt hybrids in, uh, in passenger car. Um, so uh, we're also seeing a lot of potential for that in, uh, in other sectors, such as commercial vehicles and off-highway. Um, but in addition to 48-volt systems, um, on a lot of commercial vehicles, you've got a 24-volt DC system as well. So you can do an awful lot um, of electrification at, at 24 volts uh, without having to go to 48, um, but you can do even more electrification at 48 volts. So just, uh, just some little examples. Um, the, uh, the opportunities on and off highway machine. Um, so in terms of what we're talking about here is low level systems electrification. So not a hybrid, a uh, full hybrid, but what you might call a mild or a micro hybrid. So uh, yesterday, one of the speakers mentioned about the power consumption requirements of the fan system, the thermal management system. Um, that is significant, um, and it's kind of the, the low-hanging fruit for electrification potential. Um, we, uh, we do those systems. Other systems are available, such as the SPAL um, stuff that's out in the foyer. Um, 
So the, the, there's a lot of opportunities on e-fans uh, at 24 volts and also at 48 volts. Um, next up is the, uh, the engine coolant pump, so lots of, uh, lots of potential there. Um, and then the other kind of an ancillaries. So on a commercial vehicle, for on highway, you've also got things like air compressors, um, which uh, you don't tend to have on, on off-highway. Um, and, and finally, to generate the power, but also provide some torque back into the drivetrain, the basic kind of crank assist, so low-cost electrical machine um, doing smart power generation, so recovering power under vehicle decelerations or neg negative torque incidents, um, and able to put power back into the drivetrain. So really, um, just to kind of give some examples of, of where we're at, um, typical uh, sort of power levels for different devices on different kinds of vehicles. Um, so you can see up in the commercial vehicle end, so you know, typical off-highway engine, 24 volts, you can uh, electrify a lot of those systems. Um, but at 48 volts, you can electrify all of those systems with manageable power levels. Um, we are doing now in the, the transit bus market um, systems where we're generating 550 amps at 28 volts with an alternator. So that's, um, that's actually pretty much becoming the standard in North America. Um, so it's a very effective way of getting some of the benefits of electrification of the powertrain, but without uh, necessarily all of the costs. And I think again and again and again, the last couple of days, we've heard people talk about the business case and the return on investment to the, to the customer. So um, you can actually get some significant uh, efficiency benefits, improvements in engine thermal management, um, make your after-treatment system work better. But for a ver relatively low investment, and actually in some cases what we're finding is uh, we can replace hydraulically driven systems uh, and achieve a cost reduction, um, or, or be cost neutral. So if it's, uh, if it's so good and so easy, why doesn't every uh, construction machine have electric fans today? Um, we get an awful lot of objections, uh, and this is where the simulation guys become the enemy. Um, so I think uh, this morning there was a really nice uh, example of um, block modeling approach. Um, so I think you know, most people will be familiar that in uh, particularly commercial vehicles, the way we tend to do our simulations is at steady points of operation. Um, actually, building a simulation model that covers the full transient operation is incredibly difficult. And as we've found uh, several times with customers, even when you think you've built a model which is transient, actually when you dig down into the subsystems, um, none of those are actually representative of transient operation of, say, the fan system or the pump system. It's actually just basically a, a lookup table with several fixed points of operation in it. Um, so we, um, we encounter these, uh, the, ob the objections where you know, it's, it's all the standard thing, you know, if you electrify that, it can't be as efficient as directly driving it off the engine because we've got, you know, there's conversion losses there. Because we're thinking in terms of a, a fixed operating point um, rather than the, the operation under the curve, um, we can't simulate it easily. Um, also, the, the installation of enough electrical power is difficult. Um, and, uh, and, of course, everyone's concerned about adding cost to the machine. So I think... Um, it's been wonderful to see some of the work that Volvo's been doing on uh, presentations, but uh, I think in general it's quite hard to get buy-in to programs where there's a potential to add cost to um, some uh, industrial machinery. Um, so that's got to be an important consideration. Um, 
So just focusing in on that transient operation point, uh, just picking one specific example being the fan. So um, what I've got on the left-hand side are two uh, driving cycles. Um, so we can see highly transient uh, operating conditions for the vehicle. Um, and on the, the right-hand side, I've got a performance curve for a standard um, engine-driven fan. So I think um, what you can see from that is there's a, a peak efficiency point, uh, which actually the efficiency is surprisingly low um, anyway, even at the peak point, but it drops off fairly sharply either side of the best efficiency point. Um, so when the typical uh, component sizing goes on for an off-highway machine, we tend to be looking at, uh, for the cooling fan, we'd be looking at the peak torque point and the peak power point for the engine, and looking at the coolant flow that was available and working out the fan power that was needed. So we consider those single peak points, but don't tend to look too much at the efficiency under the curve. And actually, when you look at the operation of the, the, the machine on the driving cycles or in real world, you see it spends most of its life operating underneath the curve. So this gives us an opportunity when we electrify the components. So yeah, for sure, if you look at the peak operating point, the efficiency of a mechanically driven device is going to beat the efficiency of an electrically driven device. Even if you've got a super efficient, 90% efficient motor electrical conversion system, you've got losses going to electricity, into storage, and then back out to electricity. Um, but the real advantage comes under the transient operating conditions. So if we electrify all of these ancillary systems, we're now free of engine speed. So we can operate the devices at their best efficiency point, um, and, we can, uh, and we can keep them there for longer. So a um, couple of examples of, um, of programs. This is uh, the biggest um, system that we've ever built. Um, so this was a project um, for a mining truck. So this is an open cast um, mining environment. Um, we, um, we implemented an uh, electric fan array. So you can see we've moved from a single large fan to the standard engine driven fan on this uh, truck is about two meters in diameter. And we're actually now using what to some people looks like a ridiculous number of uh, small fans. Um, and there is an advantage from an efficiency point of view in going to an array of small fans, uh, even though it's counterintuitive with the fan laws. The other thing that we've done is we've moved the fans to the outside of the system, so they're now pushing cold air through it, um, which also has an advantage. Um, and in, in total, there's about 20 fans on that truck. And you can just about see my, one of my colleagues standing next to the system there, so it really is a, a giant of a thing. So the, uh, the interesting numbers on this... We achieved um, 70 kilowatt um, power saving, peak power saving, um, and that actually translated into about 15% fuel saving in operation. Um, just because we could control the fans much more easily, they were no longer connected to, um, to engine speed, um, and we can do some neat tricks with them uh, in terms of being able to flow in reverse um, as well. So, um, so quite, a lot of, uh, quite a lot of potential there. Um, Next example is a, an off-highway uh, tractor. So this was an OEM project. Um, we have a, a very close relationship with an American company. They did this in conjunction with the OEM. Um, the, I think the, one of the main um, objectives here was to get to a single-plane cooling pack. So we talked again a lot over the last couple of days about coming up with a user case, a user benefit. So on agricultural machines, the cooling packs get blocked up really easily with um, debris. From, uh, from activity or dirt from the ground. 
Um, so the, the, the target here was to go to a distributed cooling system, um, which the customer did very successfully. Um, you can't really see, but actually on top of the engine, there's uh, heat exchangers with cooling fans mounted underneath them as well. Um, so this 27 kilowatts peak power saving compared to the standard system, um, achieved full load, cooling performance, um, did use quite a lot of fans again. So um, in terms of uh, the, 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 sort of the next system being the uh, engine coolant pump, um, we're just starting to see that get some traction in commercial vehicles, but it's uh, fair to say in passenger car, um, BMW were the trailblazers with this um, a number of years ago. Um, BMW, though, they took a fairly radical approach, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is the reason they did it, but essentially when they launched uh, electric engine coolant pumps, they did a complete redesign of the engine. So if you look at um, any of the new uh, BM engines that have uh, electric coolant pumps, they have a cross-flow design on the engine to reduce the pressure drop, um, and the reason they would, you know, the benefit of that from the pump point of view is it reduces the pump power, so it meant they could get to a manageable pump power at a 12-volt system, Okay, but there's not many people, uh, particularly in industrial vehicles, who are going to um, do a new engine design from scratch and go to a cross-flow cooling system just to facilitate an electric pump. Um, and really, that's where uh, the 48-volt systems come, come in. So if we go to a 48-volt um, bus, we can implement an electric um, engine coolant pump very simply on a, on a very, very wide range of engines. So the, the biggest pump that we're working on at the moment is a 12 kilowatt electrical power cooling pump for quite an enormous engine uh, for an off-highway application. But um, 24 volts, you've got a lot of potential for electric pumps as well with standard engines. Um, it depends on the pressure drop in the engine and the cooling system. Um, so again, the, the advantage of electrifying the engine coolant pump is you're free of engine speed. So clearly, if you look at it, it's not as efficient at the peak operating point. Um, but like I said before, the peak operating point isn't where we're spending most of our life on an off-highway machine. So by decoupling the pump from the engine speed, we can operate the pump at full speed when the engine's idling, so we can have uh, improved performance of the system. It's more efficient to use higher coolant flows than higher air flows for, for engine cooling. So we can really uh, optimize the, the thermal management system by balancing out the performance of the pump and the performance of the fans. Whereas um, in the past, if you had engine-driven components, there wasn't a lot you could do in terms of controlling them and turning them on and off. Um, so it's a significant uh, exercise. It definitely, I think one of the downsides to electrifying the main engine coolant pump is you need the buy-in of the engine manufacturer. And uh, for some companies, uh, Volvo for instance, they make their own engines, so that might be easier than for others, particularly in the industrial vehicle space where Oftentimes, you're buying in engines from third-party suppliers, um, but uh, there are, there are uh, electric pumps coming through on, uh, on some of the third-party engines now. So what are the other benefits of low-voltage electrification? So it's really, um, I've used the, the acronym RDE, but real driving, um, so real-world operation of the vehicles. We've, we've been involved in electrifying subsystems on diesel engine vehicles now for almost 10 years. Um, we've got a lot of uh, experience with the, the real-world operation of those systems, and freeing them from engine speed um, provides a lot of benefits. Um, one of them being it supports start-stop engine operation. So we, um, we heard about some start-stop uh, benefits earlier today. Um, all of those uh, cranking, so every time you start the engine, you've got to crank it. 
if you've got lots of loads hanging off the engine in terms of fans and pumps and other bits and pieces, that adds to the cranking load. So you immediately you're putting more stress on your starting system. Um, if you take all of that out and make it free of the engine, you can start the engine easier. On a vehicle with a power steering system, you need electric uh, power steering because if you stop the engine, um, you get a bit of a kickback from the steering wheel if it's an engine-driven um, engine pump, particularly on a diesel. Um, so we can do um, quite a bit of engine downsizing. So in, in off-highway, it really depends on the kind of vehicle you're looking at, but some of the, uh, in some of the applications, the, the parasitic uh, power consumptions of the, the thermal management system and the other accessory loads are, are really significant compared to the total engine power. So, um, so we've seen the ability by going to a mild hybrid configuration where we've got electrified ancillaries and only a very small amount of electrical torque infill, we can downsize the engine by a full engine class. Um, we have Im improved thermal management capabilities as well. So I think off-highway market, um, cold operating cycles are a big problem for SCR systems. Uh, so, you know, the vehicles having to go into forced regen a lot because basically the engines don't get warm enough, um, the exhaust isn't getting warm enough, so being able to actually force the engine to run at a higher temperature by controlling the coolant flows um, and the air flows much more accurately is a big, um, is a big operational benefit. Um, so improving safety might seem like a strange thing. Um, I think uh, in some markets where we, uh, we operate, there's a big issue in terms of um, risks associated with hydraulic system failures. Um, so particularly the, the transit bus market, there's been a big issue with, um, with bus fires being caused by um, hydraulic system leaks um, going onto the engine. Um, but the improved, um, the improved controllability of the electric accessories means you can, uh, you can, do, a, you can do a lot more. Um, we're also seeing, it's quite interesting, on, a, on high voltage uh, electric and hybrid vehicles, people opting now to go for 48 volt um, accessories. So instead of having an air compressor or um, a hydraulic pump operating at a high voltage, they're going for a sort of three voltage system for the, the electric and hybrid powertrain. So you've got your, your low voltage, 12 or 24, with the, uh, the conventional, you know, your lights and your dashboard and things on. Then a, an interim voltage of 48 with a higher power consumer sitting on that. Um, and then the high voltage for the traction system. And I think that really, that's all about uh, cost management um, on the vehicle. Uh, there are some interesting things with the 48 volt accessories on some motorsport applications where it's all about performance uh, and light weighting, which isn't really such an issue on off-highway. Um, and then the other thing with a you know, low voltage electrification, it's, an, it's really an enabler. Some things that we've always wanted to do, um, but couldn't because we didn't have the electrical power before, such as e-boosting, um, electric valve actuation, uh, and both of the common types of waste heat recovery system that are out there, they really um, become much more feasible with a 48 volt um, bus on the vehicle. So um, there are some, some significant other benefits that come into play. Um, there, are, there are challenges, so other than the common objections that we get, um, there's, uh, there's actual challenges in terms of the hardware and the system architecture. The new standard for 48 volt systems, LV148, um, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's gaining a lot of acceptance and pace, but it's not a fully formed standard yet. Um, the main kind of obstacle really is the energy storage system. So what you really need is a, a very cost-effective uh, battery pack. 
So if you're considering moving to a 48 volt architecture, I'd suggest uh, talking to Chris, um, getting access to some of those wonderful Nissan uh, low cost, uh, high power cells uh, in, a, in an off highway specification battery system. Um, we always, when we do the math on this, it always works out great with all the accessories that the electrified ancillaries are actually not that expensive um, and can be cheaper than the equivalent hydraulic parts. But uh, typically, things start to get difficult when we, you add in the cost of the energy storage system, um, which is quite difficult. A 48-volt high-power system is difficult to do. Um, there are issues in terms of component supply at hardware and a silicon level, 48-volt systems, and getting actually access to stuff, um, the, the sort of supply lead times. Um, and then, um, really, the, the ability to perform accurate simulations. So we've been involved in two OEM projects now where actually what's happened is after six to nine months of attempting to get simulation models working, we've actually given up, just stopped, said, right, this would be easier just to build something on the test bed and go and test it. Um, the simulation guys are going round and round in circles, um, not able to, to look at the full model. It's been really surprising when you sort of dig down deep in, you look at the engine model, and there's a, there'll be a good transient thermal model for the engine, but... Um, Everything else is based on lookups, um, so it doesn't come out with sensible information um, when you start to look at, uh, at doing this sort of level of electrification. Okay, so uh, yeah, quick summary. Um, so there are some, some good benefits to be had in off-highway through electrification. It doesn't have to be high voltage. It doesn't even have to be 48 volts. Um, there's a lot you can do at 12. There's even more you can do at 24. Um, 48 is, is, uh, is brilliant. Um, we do love uh, avid high-voltage hybrid and electric vehicles as well, by the way. We're, uh, we're not against that. Um, and that's it. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so thanks very much for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Please leave us a rating uh, or hit like, depending on which platform you're listening on. It really, really helps us to uh, extend the reach of the podcast and, and get out there in front of more people. Uh, thanks very much. Um, look forward to speaking to you again soon.